0: Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I encourage you to open them to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, we're going to look at verses verses 5 through 11. Revelation 4, verses 5 through 11. As you're finding your place there in God's Word, I want to welcome all of those who are joining us via our live stream this morning. So grateful For all of you, and especially we want to welcome Reach Church DeSoto this morning. They're baptizing five today. Isn't that good? Seeing five (laughs) baptized there at Reach Church, and we're rejoicing with you And in the venue service down the hall. It's so good to have all of you with us this morning. Also, I want to let you know of something that's coming up this week. Uh, Tuesday night in the K Hall at 6 p.m., uh, the, the foundation, LBC Foundation, is hosting an event called Planning for the Future. So, so many people have asked us about living wills and trusts and estates and uh, questions about RMDs and charitable giving and things of that nature. And we decided uh, it would be good for us to hold kind of a conference where we could answer some of those questions. There'll be some experts there within those fields that are connected to our church that we use as resources often. Uh, I am not one of those experts. You don't want to talk to me. But we got some really good experts who will help you answer some of your questions. You can sign up by going to LenexaBaptist.com. Uh, the the menu button over on the right top right. If you'll click that, go down to events. It'll be right there. Or you can text us. You can just text the word right now if you want to text the word foundation to eight nine four four nine eight nine four four nine. Text the word foundation. You'll get a link. You'll be able to sign up right there. It's quick. It's simple. It's easy. Well, Revelation 4 this morning, you remember John in chapter 1, he, was, he caught a vision of Christ and uh, he was dictated to him, these letters to the seven churches, and then as we studied last week, there's an open door into heaven, it's Christ who invites John, come up here and he gets to see future events Before they occur and he's ushered into the very presence of God and we saw there this throne of God standing this rainbow Christ or God presented with this rainbow a reminder of God's faithfulness and his His promises to the nation of Israel. And this morning we're going to see the fullness of God's glory in the presence of God. And uh, you know, as I've studied it this week, I think today more than ever, we need this vision of God that's presented here in a world filled with immorality and sin, a world filled with violence and evil, a world that is com- incredibly confused. We're reminded here that God is in control. That this is not just a picture of how things will be. This is the reality of what things are today. That God is seated on his throne. He's holy. He's majestic. He's all powerful. He's eternal. And he's sovereign over every aspect of history. Even the events that we're experiencing today. So we're going to get a picture of God in all his glory. But we're also going to get a picture of how man is intended to respond. These 24 elders will fall. We get a picture of man is intended to respond to God in light of his glory. So let's pray together, then we'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you for your word that reveals who you are. And God, I pray on the base of your word and the power of your spirit this morning, we would get a glimpse, a picture of your glory and your holiness and your sovereignty and your love and your faithfulness. And God, I pray that we would worship you today. That what we see depicted in this passage would be the reality of our lives. That in light of who you are and what you've done, we give all of ourselves back to you in worship. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's pick up verse 5. We're just going to work our way through. It says in verse 5, out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder you read that it reminds you of sinai you remember when moses went up on the mountain to receive the law of god and he met with god there god says i'm going to come down from the mountain and god was presented that moment with lightning and with thunder and here again we see god presented with lightning and, and thunder that he is a majestic god he's a holy god he is a god to be feared And then in verse 5, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. We've mentioned this a couple of times. You'll see it throughout Revelation that these seven spirits or these seven lamps are a depiction of the Holy Spirit of God. Seven is the number of completeness, fire always being a picture of purity and holiness. And so we see here the Holy Spirit of God in all of his fullness. In fact, as you look here, as John has entered into the presence of God, he sees God in three persons. He sees God Trinitarian. He sees God the Father. He sees God the Spirit And God the Son is there. How do we know that God the Son is there? Who is the voice that told him to come up here? It is Jesus Christ. It's a good reminder to all of us today that true biblical worship is always Trinitarian. That when we come before God, we come before God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, God in three persons, blessed Trinity, the God is a relational God. God, think about this. He's never been alone. Is this important to remember as we gather to worship God that he's never been alone? It's so important because it's a reminder that God is not an, up in heaven as some lonely God that needs a creation to love. No, he's God in three persons, eternally existing in community. It's also good to remember that he's not just some self-absorbed self-obsessed person. He's God in three persons. You know, and if you've been around the church long enough you've heard people try to explain the trinity and use all kinds of illustration every illustration i ever hear borders on blasphemy. Listen to me. You'll never figure this out. If you could figure it out God wouldn't be that big. And don't think for a moment that once you get to heaven, all of a sudden you'll figure it out then. No, but I tell you what, we will stand in awe and worship of the God who is Trinity. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. Then look with me at verse 6. And before the throne, where there was something like a sea of glass like crystal in the center. And around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. So you see this sea of glass like crystal and it creates a form of separation, a visible representation of God's holiness. I think the idea here is that God's not a God who in heaven, he's just got people crawling all over him. No, there's a separation. He's holy. He's totally set apart. Uh, You know, at Sinai that I mentioned earlier, what they do, they created a barrier. They actually put up a fence, didn't they? to remind the people, you don't don't get too close. In the temple, there was what? There was a thick veil. And here, even in heaven, there's this picture of a glassy sea reminding us that God is totally set apart. And then look at verse 7. There's these four creatures. The first creature was like a lion. The second creature like a calf. The third creature had a face like that of a man. The fourth creature was like a flying eagle. There's a lot of speculation as to what these four creatures represent. In my opinion, these four creatures represent all of creation gathered before God in total worship. Often in Scripture, we see these animals that are listed here as a representation of all of creation. Uh, In Psalm 8, when the psalmist says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that you've created him, yet you've made him a little lower than God? And you've crowned him with glory and majesty and you make him rule over the works of your hands and you put all things in subjection to his feet. And then it describes all things, meaning all of creation. It says all sheep and all oxen and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and whatever passes through the depths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So right here in these four living creatures, we have a representation of all of creation. You've got the lion, which is the king of the beasts. You've got uh, the 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 ox or the calf, whichever translation you have, but that's the domesticated animals. Those are the sacrificial animals. And then you have man. Man is the pinnacle of God's creation. And then you have the flying eagle, a picture of the birds of the air. Here is all creation represented of these four creatures, and they're looking to God, and they are worshiping him. Look at verse 8. What are they doing? It says, The four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, Six wings. It sounds very much like in Isaiah chapter 6. You remember Isaiah 6 and the call of Isaiah? And he sees the seraphim, and they have six wings. With two, they cover their feet. With two, they cover their faces. And with two, they fly. These wings are a demonstration of worship. And they have full, so these four living creatures are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so here, you see, they've got eyes all around, even within Meaning very simply that in every way they are looking to God. Here is all of creation looking to God and worshiping. It's a reminder that creation is not God. Creation looks to God for redemption. You remember Paul wrote in in Romans chapter 8 for the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected in hope that the creation itself will be freed from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's basically saying creation, remember, at the fall of Adam and Eve, when sin entered this world, even creation was broken, right? That creation is not as it was. It's not as it will be. It was subjected to futility because of sin, but it was subjected into futility in hope. What's the hope? It's Genesis 3.15, that after the fall of man, God said he was going to send somebody to make it right to restore creation back to its original design, The idea is that creation is looking to God for its ultimate redemption. And even here it makes reference to the, it awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. Because creation, the the revealing of the sons of God, that's the church. The revealing of us is the anticipation of what's coming next. Of the renewal and the redemption of creation itself. That you and I to creation, we're kind of like Thanksgiving. You know why I like Thanksgiving as a kid? Because it reminded me Christmas was just right around the corner. Creation longs for the revealing of the church because it knows that the redemption of the earth is soon coming. So creation knows it's not God. Here we see in these creatures, they're worshiping God. They, they, they long for a day, as Scripture says, when the mountains will sing and the trees will clap their hands and the lion will lie down with the lamb. So here's creation and these four creatures, they're worshiping God in night and day. What do they say? Holy Holy, holy. That he is the thrice holy God because he's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. You know, the holiness of God is the only attribute of God that's repeated. I believe because the holiness of God is the one attribute of God that most fully communicates who he is. He's completely set apart. Totally untainted by sin and evil. He's perfect. Set apart. He's holy. And then he is, it says they sing he's Lord God. That Lord God, that's the covenantal name for God. In the Greek it's, it's Adonai Theos. In the Old Testament it would have been Yahweh. It's the covenantal name of God. This is a reminder that this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God that is not distant or aloof, but he's involved in creation, acting in creation and in history to bring about the redemption of man. He's the Lord God. And then it says he's almighty in Hebrew, it's El Shaddai, it's mountain, that, that his power is unmatched, and no one can stand before him, no one can oppose him, no one can prevent him from accomplishing his purposes. He is almighty. And then he's finally worshipped as the one who, is, who was and is and is to come, meaning he's eternal, He transcends time. He's he's sovereign over history. He's the Alpha and the Omega. It is his story. He started it in the beginning. God created. And he is the one who will bring it to its conclusion in accordance with his perfect will and plan. He is sovereign over every aspect of history. So here is all creation represented in these four living creatures looking to God and worshiping Him because He's the thrice holy God. He's God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Always existing in eternal fellowship. He's holy. He's totally set apart. No one can compare to the glory and the perfection of God. He's the Lord God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who is faithful to his promises. He's almighty. No one can oppose him. No one can stop him. He is eternal. He is sovereign over history. And then you see in verses 9 through 11... All of creation in the presence of who God is, is worshiping God and it brings out of these 24 elders representing the church it brings out of them a response look with me in verses 9-11 through and when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne to him who lives forever and ever the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying worthy are you our Lord our God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and because of Your will, they existed and were created. So, the worship of all of creation representing these living creatures brings about a response from the 24 elders representing the church. This is us that they get a glimpse of the glory of God and the worship of creation. What do they do? They fall down. It's an act of humble submission and worship. They see the glory of God, and in the presence of deity, you don't stand. You fall, you hit your knees and they take off their crowns and they cast them before the throne saying, you are worthy. In other words, they take all that they have, all that makes them look good or superlative, any authority or responsibility that they possess, any greatness or good gift that they own. In fact, even any reward, which is their crown, any reward that's been given to them, they give back to God in worship. That in light of his glory and his greatness, his holiness and his majesty, in light of all that he has done, they give all of themselves back to God in worship because he and he alone is worthy. It's a powerful picture here in Revelation 4 of who God really is that he's holy, he's set apart. He's Trinity, God in three persons. He's Lord God, the God who has acted in history and in creation to bring about our redemption through the giving of his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. He's the God who always keeps his promises. He is faithful. He is almighty. No one can stop him, not even you, from accomplishing his purposes for redemption and his glory, and he is eternal. He is sovereign. And this is how man is intended to respond. That in light of who God is, his holiness, his sovereignty, his power, his eternal nature, his wisdom, and his majesty, this God who loves us and has worked in creation to bring about our redemption, the only logical response to the greatness of this God is to take all of our lives, to fall at his feet and give everything back to him in worship because he and he alone is worthy. It's the essence of Romans 12, 1. You remember when he says, when Paul says, I urge you, brethren, in light of the mercies of God, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. In other words, spiritual in the Greek, it's the Greek word logikane. Paul is saying that this is your logical response. The only logical response to the greatness of this God, who he is and what he's done, is to say, here's all I have. It isn't much, but I give it to you because you and you alone are worthy. What a powerful picture here. But as we think about this, as we think about the glory of God, we think about the intended response of man, what do we know? I don't know about you, but we know this is not man's natural response to God, is it? This is not how man tends to respond. We tend to rebel I want you to see this in scripture. Turn over to Romans chapter 1 briefly. Romans chapter 1. Because we think about this, we think about who God is and his glory and his greatness and we think about man, how he's intended to respond and then we think about how our world in general responds. Why don't we worship? Why doesn't the world in general worship the glory of God? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, the verse I believe will be on the screen if you want to look there, but if you've got your Bible, I would encourage you to do that, to open your Bible. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Listen to what Paul says. He says, For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it known or evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse." For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of bird and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Paul says right here that God has placed a knowledge of himself in every one of us. There's a knowledge of God in every one of us, and He's also revealed Himself in His works and in His word. That's the essence of Psalm 19. The heavens are telling the glory of God, their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor their words. The line has gone out through all the earth. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of its chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run its course. It rises from one in the heavens, and its circuit is to the other end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. That's the glory of creation, declaring the glory of God. And then it goes on in Psalm 19 to say, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul, the testimony of the Lord, sure, making wise and simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. God has revealed himself in creation. He's revealed himself in his word. So he's put a knowledge of himself inside every one of us. He's revealed himself in his creation, in his word. Meaning, every time you saw a sunrise, every time you saw a sunset, every time you saw your fingers move on the basis of a thought that was in your head, every time you smelt a rose, Every time you held a baby in your arms, every time you ate a meal, you were made aware that there is a God. Amen. And so God has revealed Himself. He's placed the knowledge of Himself in every one of us. And, and, and listen, that knowledge may not have been enough to save you, but it was certainly enough to put you on the right track. And what you should have done, what we should have done, when we recognized the glory of God, what, we, what should we have done? We should have worshipped him. We should have sought him. We should have pursued him. We should have loved him. We should have given thanks. But what do we do naturally in our sinful flesh? What do we do? We did not give thanks according to Paul. We did not worship him. We sat down and eat a meal. And we didn't pause to give a word of thanks. Just like, you know, our dog, he doesn't pray before his meals. He just, we tried to get him to pray. He won't do it. He's stubborn. <laughs> just like hogs and dogs, what did we do prior to faith in Christ? We just dove into our meals without giving thanks to the one who gave it to us. We had three squares a day. We had a roof over our heads. We had the ability to get up. Some of you, you got married and you took a baby home from the hospital and you never blessed God at the work of his hands. You enjoyed what God gave you and you cursed the hand that gave it to you. You took, as Paul says here, you took the knowledge that God placed inside of you and you know what you did? You suppressed it. In your sinfulness... You held it down. And you know what you did? You created your own God. That's what man does. He knows they're a God. You don't like that God. He holds that down because of his sin and he creates a God. And guess what? Man never creates a God that condemns him. Isn't that interesting? Man will never create a God that holds him accountable. We like to create God's that pat us on the back and allow us to indulge in our own sinful desires. And more often not, you know what we do? We just make ourselves out to be God. It's called secular humanism that I can do whatever I want to do. You do whatever you want to do. There is no truth. We'll just all be gods. And you know what Paul says here? He says it's futility. You know what futility means? It means it won't work. It's futile. All the the, the systems that man creates will never satisfy the deepest longings of your heart, and it will never fix the brokenness of your life. It doesn't work. It's futile. You can come up with whatever system you want. It won't work. Theologically, it won't work. It will not answer the bigger questions of life. All the, the systems that man creates, it won't tell you where you came from. It won't tell you why you're broken. It won't tell you the solution to your brokenness. It won't tell you where the world's headed and it won't tell you how to be saved. It'll try to placate you and make you feel better. But it won't work. Philosophically, it won't work. And pragmatically, pragmatically, life without God doesn't work. It's like it's like trying to run a car without oil. You can say, I don't believe in oil. I don't like it. It's greasy. I ain't gonna use it. Well well, see how far your car goes without it. Life doesn't work without God. And you know what happens? It's futile, and it says their foolish hearts were what? Darkened. Do you know what happens to people and cultures that reject God? It gets really dark. What would happen this morning if I shut off all the lights? You ever been in this room with all the lights there are? It's pitch black. What if I turned off all the lights in this room right now and then said, hit the door? We don't have enough insurance. (laughs) Some of y'all would have treads on your back. You know what happens? When God turns off the light because they reject him, people become self-destructive. They hurt themselves and they hurt each other. Does that whole storyline sound familiar? A culture that says, we don't really want God telling us what to do. We're just going to push that truth down, create our own gods, and guess what? We end up in a lot of hurt and pain. We're hurting ourselves. We're hurting each other. See, that's the thing about man. We're we're naturally very arrogant individuals. We think we're smart. We think we can figure this out on his own. Do you know what God likens us to most often in Scripture? Sheep. The dumbest animals that have ever walked the earth. We're not that smart. We are not that wise on our own. We are a lousy God. And so we think we're wise and we become fools is what Paul says. You want it to get really scary, read on in Romans chapter 1 because Paul tells you what God does with a culture that continues down that path. But let me suffice it to say, you know what it ends up in? It ends up a lot of hurt and it ends up in a lot of pain and ultimately it ends up in destruction. And some of you are here this morning and you know there's a God. You know it. God has placed the knowledge of Himself inside of you. You know it. But you have said, I don't want Him because I don't like feeling guilty. I want a God who lets me live however I want to live. And you have followed that God and you've left yourself in a place of brokenness and hurt and futility and darkness. And you know you're there this morning and you're saying, what do I need to do? The first thing you need to do is recognize today that you're a lousy God and I'm a lousy God. You know why? Because we're sinners. Every one of us in this room have been infected by the sin of Adam and Eve. We're broken to the very core. And what else do you need to do? Scripture says not only recognize you're a lousy God, but repent. See, sooner or later, you need to get sick and tired of being sick and tired and headed down a path following sin that leads to hurt and pain and recognize I don't want this path anymore. I don't want to go my way anymore. And you turn and you trust in Jesus. It's called repentance and faith. And you recognize that the only solution to the brokenness of your heart is something that we call the gospel. The good news that God saw you in your lost condition and in your brokenness. And he so loved you even though he is sovereign and holy and just. And he could have let all of us die and just go to hell. He loved us so much he sent his son to die on a cross for your sins. So you don't have to keep going down that path anymore. So that you can be freed from the slavery of sin and corruption and death. And you can be freed under the path of God that leads to life and joy and fellowship and peace. But you've got to recognize your sin and you've got to turn towards Christ and you've got to trust in him. And then when you know him, when you know who God is and you know what he's done through his son Jesus, you know what you do? You take all of your life and you lay at his feet. And you say to him, you are worthy of everything. All my life, I lay it at your feet. Do you realize that's the church? We're getting a picture right here in Revelation 4 of what the church is intended to do and who the church is intended to be. That we're just a people who saw the glory of God and trusted in Christ. And we worship him with all of our lives. And you know what we do? According to Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, we are a view, the church is a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of the times that is the summing up of all things in Christ. Very simply, it means that we as the church give the world a sneak preview of what we will do one day forever in heaven. Isn't that good? that the world says, what will heaven be like? And we say to them, come down here to 87th and Lackman. And we'll give you, a, we're not a perfect picture, but we'll give you a sneak preview. Because you know what we are? We're a diverse group of people. We come from all different nationalities and backgrounds. Male, female, black, white, young, old, KU, K-State. <laughs> a few MU, we let them into." But what are we? We're all on the same footing, aren't we? Because we're all sinners whose eyes were open to the glory of Christ and what God had done for us, and we trusted in him, we gave all of our lives back to him in worship. That's what we do every Sunday when we gather. We look to God, we see his glory, and we take everything and we lay it back in front of him in total worship. Do we have a hymn? Oh, we got a hymn. You probably saw it coming because it's right there in the text. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Where's Pastor Bill? Bill, do you know this song? (laughs) Have you played that piano before? Come on, Bill, we got to sing this, brother. Can you do this? This is the greatness of Bill Shifley. You just put him on the spot. This guy's phenomenal. This is too good. Amen. Come on, y'all stand with us. Let's sing this one. We recognize you as holy this morning, far more holy than we can possibly imagine. And in light of your holiness, we see the depth of our sin. God, I pray if there's somebody here this morning that's never trusted in Christ, I pray today they would see not only your glory and the depth of their sin, but they'd see the beauty of Christ. God, open their eyes. The word says that Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel in the glorious face of Christ God supernaturally by your spirit this morning. Maybe somebody watching online, peel black back the blinders. Let them see Jesus. And I pray in light of who he is and what he's done, they'd run to Christ and fall on their knees and give all of their life back to him. That they might know your salvation and your freedom. God, for those of us that do know you, may this be the attitude of our life. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond this morning just like we do every week because guess what? The Word of God is intended to be responded to. If God is moving on your heart, maybe you have questions about salvation. We have pastors here who would love to talk to you about how to know Christ. Maybe you'd like to unite with our church family become a member of Lanexa Baptist Church. Maybe you just want to pray here at the altar. This is your time. Know this. You will never regret obeying Jesus. So you respond as we sing.